0: This is the process of change. And it has to start with that willingness to enter into that. He's the one who guides and convinces each of us of what we should do and where we should go. But we make the effort to have the conversation so that we are open to his guiding as we trust and obey. And as we move into our global missions conference, this is the disposition we want to have. As we just sang. Here we come with open hearts. And we want to have uh, humble, open hearts and hands and eyes to what he would have us move into. Now, in our discussion of change this month, we have just one little word left. We've been studying in Acts chapter 9, and uh, we've looked at The whole chapter, we even read the whole chapter, and each time that we've moved through, we've become increasingly focused. And now to chapter 9, verse 31, and one singular word in there. Some things changed in the life of the church. Chapter 9, verse 31 mentions this and gives us kind of a framework for what that is, and then the rest of the chapter illustrates it. Verse 31 says, then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. That was the outward change. And it was outside of their control. This was mostly because Paul or Saul had stopped persecuting. And then it says, "Yet the church was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. And this was inward change, strengthening, being built up, alignment with God last week, this willingness to stand and be willing to move, one leg at a time, trusting and obey. How do we know if we're changing? There are three answers. Answer number one, we're being built up as a collective whole, and that's kind of the fact and the goal. God has taken all of these dead stones, made them alive, and is bringing them together and constructing his house, his temple, out of all of these stones. We're being built up. That's the fact. That's the goal. The alignment with God is more the process. And now answer number three, one word, expressed in a few words in English. It's about increase. Or the NIV says it grew in numbers. The NASB says continued to increase. The ESV says it multiplied all renderings of this one single word. Now, it would be a meaningless waste of your time for us to consider one word in a long chapter, in a long book, in the entire Bible, unless that word was a really important word in one verse, in multiple chapters, in several books, in the entire Bible. And that's exactly what we have in this one word. It's a verb, plethuna. It means to increase, to multiply, to surely multiply. Be of fullest measure. It comes from a noun, which means a great number, a full assembly, a crowd, a throng, a multitude. You can even hear the English word in it, can't you? plethora. Probably not a word you use many times this week. But don't you hear that word used when someone really wants to make a point about how large something is, how many it involved? A plethora of difficulties I faced this week. Oh, you know you're in for a conversation now, don't you? In today's slang, this is a ton. This is a heap bunch of something. Loads of people, particularly because coming out of this noun, it most of the time refers to people. Luke loves this word. He uses it 11 times in his gospel and five times in the book of Acts, and rightly so because it's a a very significant word. You remember Stephen's sermon where he ended up, you know, creating such an ire that They persecuted him. They stoned him to death. He uses the word in verse 17 of chapter 7 when he talks about how great and numerous the people of Israel had become in Egypt, which ended up leading to the problem that they had with the Egyptians because they were a threat and they were getting out of hand. Now, why is that important? Because it's a promise that God made and it was a promise when it seemed like a joke but someone was just crazy enough to believe him and I was thinking through any number of examples or illustrations that I could give of people who were just crazy enough to believe God And as I did, and I thought through them, they were personal and they were powerful. And then I thought, you know what? The problem is we are so good at just dismissing those other examples because, I don't know, they just don't seem to identify with us or that's somebody else or, of course, in that situation, but you don't know the plethora of issues that I'm dealing with, so I figured let's just muse over the joke to start, shall we? Abraham, in Hebrews chapter 11, as was read for you by uh, Paul, by faith Abraham, even though he was past age, and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one, woman, one man, as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Here's the joke. They're both old. Isn't that interesting, the The author of Hebrews says they might as well have been dead. It seemed like such a joke that Sarah laughed. And then, as a matter of fact, it was such an impossibility that when it happened, she used laughter to name the son that eventually came. So let's go back and look at this in Genesis chapter 15. As Paul read, the Lord comes to him and says, oh, I am your shield and your very great reward. But Abraham says, well, wait a minute. Lord, I don't even have a son. How is this going to happen? Oh, oh, you will have a son. Look up at the heavens. Count those stars if you can. Talk about a plethora and from you will come this many. And Abraham believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. There's the promise. Now, if you go to chapter 18, here comes the human difficulty. The Lord appeared, beginning in verse 1. The Lord appeared to Abraham... Near the great trees of Mamre, while he was sitting at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day, and Abraham looked up and he saw three men standing nearby. And when he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. And he said, If I have found favor in your eyes, my lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way, now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered, do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent and said, "Sarah, quick, get three seahs of fine flour and knead it, and bake some bread." Then he ran to the herd and he selected a choice tender calf, gave it to the servant who hurried to prepare it. Then he brought some curds and milk and a calf that had been prepa- the calf that had been prepared, and set it before them and While they ate, he stood near them under the tree. Where is your wife, Sarah? they asked him there in the tent. Then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already old, well advanced as good as dead. Oh, I added that. No, the author of Hebrews added that. And Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself. After I am worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard? For the Lord, I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid. So she lied and said, I did not laugh. But the Lord said, Yes, you did laugh. There, the promise is repeated, and the human difficulty becomes. Obvious, doesn't it? Really? Can I trust? Would I obey? Am I that crazy? Does God really bring increase? Then we turn to t- chapter 21. Beginning of verse 1. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised them. And God and Abraham gave the name Isaac. You do know what Isaac means. He laughs. Laughter. Laughter. And when he was eight years old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded, and Abraham was a hundred years old when Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has brought me laughter. And everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet have borne him a son in his old age? Isaac indeed was born, and what was once a joke fulfilled as a promise became their immeasurable joy. And Abraham became the father of a plethora of a multitude of descendants. And then in Hebrews again in verse in chapter six, it says this: Paul read this to us. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself. Since no one else would believe that it was possible, he had to say, I swear by myself that this will happen. Saying, I will surely bless You, that's the word that we're talking about today. And I will give you many descendants. Shows up twice in that verse. Increase would come and it happened. Why? Because God is true to his promises. And Abraham changed. He believed God. And he trusted. And he obeyed. By faith, Abraham moved, taking steps of trust and obedience. Listen, it's written on the screen. There is no reason to change if there is no promise in the offering. But there is. God promises increase, and this single Word, found in more than one place, in multiple chapters, in several books, in the entire Bible, tells us that God's intention through change is to bring increase, surely multiply, bringing the fullest measure. And it's why Luke uses it three of the six times in these critical transition verses. You remember? And I look at your uh, notes that I gave you. Once again, you'll see three of the six red letter verses that I've asked you to mark these chapters that he uses. He's got six of them. And each time in the first three, he uses this word to say. In Jerusalem, the number of disciples increased. There's the word. 9.31, 9.31, the church in Judea, Galilee, and Samaria grew in numbers. And then in 12.24, the word of God continued to increase. So how do we know if we're changing? There's increase. We're being built up. Scattered stones made alive, brought together, being built up. That's God's goal and his purpose. It's a fact. It's going to happen. There's alignment with God. There's the process of us trusting and obeying as we move. And then there's increase. And this is an even deeper part of our responsibility. This is people who are crazy enough to believe when no one else does. What does crazy look like? (laughs) Charlie's waving. Looks like you, Charlie. No. What does crazy look like? Here's just a few thoughts. There could be many. But what could crazy look like? What what does this kind of change? What does increase as we would respond to a God in faith, believing that he intends to accomplish great things? What does that look like? Here's a few suggestions. There's increase over time. There's consistency. There's persistence. There's nothing necessarily magical about these words. I'm just trying to say, I think that consistency is one of the things that shows our faith in God's promise to bring increase. It's part of the picture. We see it with Abraham. Abraham. He had to trust and obey before he could actually see that the, that the promise would come true, didn't he? In fact, in Hebrews 6.15, we read, after waiting patiently, he received what God had promised. Patience in an ever-growing instantaneous word we, world. We, we want what we want from God when? Now. But God intends to do that over time. And he tends to use that time to grow your faith because that's the goal, that your faith would grow. So time is a part of it. Jesus said, I will build my church. And he has for 2,000 years been building his church. Contrary to popular opinion, trusting God does not mean that immediately we get everything we want. He wants to grow our faith. And Abraham is just a perfect example of that. Saul, in this Acts chapter 9, if we return there, is a a great example of that. You know there's some huge gaps of time here? In Acts chapter 9, Saul is converted. He spent some time in Damascus. There's another gap there, seemingly, before he goes to Jerusalem, as a matter of fact, because if you go to Galatians chapter 1 and 2, and I don't have time, but you go back and read Galatians chapter 2. He has a very interesting recounting of God taking him away for three years in Arabia all by himself with Jesus in person, tutoring him on all that he needed to understand for the years to come. Three years he spent in Arabia with Jesus in person. It's amazing. What a remarkable experience that had to have been. And then we get to the famous Acts chapter 13 where he and Barnabas are sent out as missionaries. Do you know what the gap is between the time that Saul was converted on the road to Damascus and when he went out as a missionary in, from Antioch? Around 10 years. 10 years. There's a huge gap of time that he sat in Tarsus while God did his work in Saul to make him ready for all that he was going to do through him as Paul. There's time, consistency, persistence. There's a need of practicing our persistence. Scott Millard is famous for saying, every overnight success is 10 years in the making. It's true, we love those stories. Wow, you know, they just did this and they invented this and now they're immediately millionaires billionaires or there's a whole lot of something that was going on before that that nobody knew about nobody saw nobody recognizes and isn't that true in so much of our lives there's increase over time and that calls for consistency and persistence and tenacity and continuing to trust and obey trust and obey even when we feel like, I mean, what, what, what must Saul have felt like sitting in Tarsus? He'd been called to be God's apostle to the Gentiles, and he's just sitting there waiting. Because that in that time, God wanted to do some work in him. A couple of others. Enduring increase, multiplication, legacy, multiplication, not addition. We see that in Abraham. He didn't have them have a bunch of kids just and, 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 and then just, I don't know, adopt a bunch of people or whatever. It was a slow process of multiplication. And now, no one can number all the descendants of this Abraham. And that's what he intends for us to do. In Jim's fictitious story, uh, you know, we, not so fictitious, we went and we led people to the Lord. And that's true. I don't have a running tally of how many people I've led to the Lord, but I will tell you, there's obviously many, but I will tell you, the most significant uh, emails, calls, letters I've ever received, and there aren't a whole lot of these. I trust there are many more that are represented by these, but there have only been a couple of these. But I have received one that said, You became a spiritual grandfather. today that means more to me than becoming a spiritual father right because that's multiplication that's enduring that's some kind of hope that you're actually leaving a legacy and 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 look at how this is true in this situation look look at paul He had a Timothy, he had a Titus, he had a Silas, he had an Onesimus, he had a Philemon, he had Luke himself. Can you say that? Can you point to people that are carrying on a legacy because of some kind of input you've had in their life? Barnabas, such an unsung hero, he's he's probably responsible for Saul because he defended him and then he went and called him and they used to be known as Barnabas and Saul and uh, Paul. And then later they became known as Paul and Barnabas. But what did he care? He just wanted a legacy. Somewhere in 1972-73, uh, a man graduated from the school that I went to. And he did a couple of short stints at, a, uh, at, at two different churches as a youth pastor. And he was what he called an errand boy. No mentoring. He was just the guy that babysat the youth. Bad experiences. Came out of those two experiences and said, if I ever have the opportunity to work with someone like that, with me, Lord, I promise, that'll never happen. So 10 years later, he ended up walking into my dorm room and saying, I'm not Chuck Swindoll. I'm not Warren Wiersbe. Those were the big names at the time. But if you want to learn something, come to Brooklyn. You know, in May of this year, four of us are going to spend three days together. All because that guy made that kind of promise. To be a multiplier and not an adder. And if you follow that man's career, there isn't anything particular about him that would cause you to say this guy was a screaming success. Except that 30 years later, he can write an email to three men and say, how about we get together after 30 years and talk about what's happened? And those three men are in part where they are because that guy was a multiplier. And through him extends a legacy way beyond himself. Because that's what increase is. Multiplying yourself. One more little thought. There is influential increase. There's numbers and intensity. The Bible says that right here. There was sheer growth. Six, seven. The number of the disciples increased. Chapter nine thirty one, the church grew in numbers. Chapter 16, verse 5, the churches grew daily in numbers. May I, as a guy who used to be in this area and then left and then came back again, can I give a word to you guys? Because I know it may not feel like that in the cold, hard Northeast. But when I was in the New York metropolitan area in the 1980s, big was Calvary Baptist in Manhattan, Seven, eight hundred people. Now, this excludes um, our brothers and sisters in the African American and Hispanic communities. I recognize that, but among mostly Caucasian conservative evangelical churches, because there's a whole lot of what God's doing in that whole world we're even we're totally blind to. But among conservative evangelical, you know, Caucasian churches, mostly. Big used to be Calvary Baptist, which had seven or eight hundred people. And Hawthorne Gospel, which in the eighties had what? I don't know, same number? Maybe a thousand? Those were big churches. I mean, Hawthorne Gospel in New Jersey was big. Maybe Long Hill Chapel had seven, eight hundred people. Do you know how big in New Jersey is now, thirty years later? There's some huge churches in New Jersey now. Calvary Chapel of Old Bridge, numbers in the thousands. Cornerstone of Wyckoff, another large church. I don't know how many, a couple thousand maybe. Liquid. Careful what you condemn. Let me just remind you last week, you're going to be in heaven with a lot of these people. God has brought remarkable increase, even here. We should be grateful. What about influence? We just went last week had the opportunity to celebrate Market Street's 125th anniversary. Wow. Thousands and thousands of men whose lives have been changed. And not just those men, but then their families and their children. Let me just give you one more and we've got to stop. 20 years ago, Tom MacArthur was just one of us. An executive in this church with an ailing child who passed. And some of you guys were a part of that. Supporting them, helping them. Just be in the church that you were supposed to be to them. Today he's this close to holding a congressional seat in the House of Representatives. Because he has consistently, diligently, in the context of a body of believers and obedient to his Lord, continued to trust and obey and do what God has told him to do. And talk about influence. He's not going to be your congressman, so you can't call him for that, but wow. Look at the influence. Because we as a church, we're a church like we should be. Who's next who should we be talking about 20 years from now what does God want to continue to do there's no reason to change if there's no promise in the offering but there is because God wants to do so much more and he isn't done for us it looks like consistency and persistence over time. It means commitment to multiplying ourselves. And it means trusting God to deepen our intensity in our walks, in our numbers, in our society. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for what you've done. We look forward to all that you're going to do. Would you continue to bring the change that you promise and do it through us even as you already have? Would you, even in these weeks as we consider the world that we invest in, continue to multiply our efforts, building us as a people, influencing our community, multiplying our efforts through our missionaries all around the world. And would you take some of us as your children? To, take, to make the steps and, and to move forward into what you want us to do as we practice consistency. Invest ourselves in each other and increase the numbers of your kingdom for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.